Welcome everyone to episode 149 of the Red Zone Restrictor podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Liam Toher, Mark Baker and Jamie Barton as we react to Liverpool's incredible 2-1 win over Newcastle United. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Oh, what a crazy, crazy game of football we've just witnessed there. It started in pretty disastrous fashion for Liverpool as they went a goal down to uh, Anthony Gordon and then a man down with Virgil van Dijk seeing red inside the first half. And obviously you were fearing what was going to happen after that. But Liverpool managed to stay in the game and struck an equaliser in the last 10 minutes through Darwin Nunez. And it looked like it was going to be a brilliant point. And then somehow it actually got even better than that as Nunez scored again in stoppage time to secure what has to be one of the most remarkable victories uh, we've seen in recent years and give Liverpool the three points. So an awful lot to get through from that one, but we'll start as we usually do uh, with our three-word match review. So I'll come to you first, Liam. Uh, so your three-word review, please. And also just... Um, your verdict on that performance with with 10 players. And do you think, as they've been saying a lot in the post-match coverage, that that was one of the great wins of the Ergen Klopp era? Um, so, three-word summary, quite simply, smash and grab. Um, in terms of the win, um, I suppose there probably be so many you know, really memorable wins on, under Jorgen Klopp that, um, sorry, and I suppose always in the euphoria, in the media euphoria, things like this, there can be... Uh, a, a tendency for her probably and um, so it, it probably will come clearer maybe as the weeks go on as just to how big a win it is in the context of, of the season as a whole um, but yeah a hugely satisfying thing to, to have been a man down for like two thirds of the match a, get, a way to a direct rival or a team that would probably will be a direct rival this season and to to win it in, in the manner that we did and um, it just feels it feels like a lot more than three points. It feels like a real psychological blow because Lucas must be coming off that pitch thinking, "How the hell did they not only they not win, but like go off with nothing?" And um, so they're hugely satisfying. Was his points out there was a week is uh, a year this ago this week of course that we did Newcastle again with a two one Fabio Cavani at Anfield, and um, so he made a bit of a happy habit of. Um, messing them over, so they're probably sick of the side of us at this stage. Absolutely, and, you know, Jamie and I were talking pre-match this week about how Newcastle are one of the big seven. Now, what we're seeing is the advent of a new rivalry in the league, and Liverpool certainly ruling that one at the moment. I will come to you next, Jamie. Same questions, really, your three words, and just um, what you made of what you've just seen, really. Uh, in terms of my three words, I think I'm, I was going to go with, uh, I didn't know quite how to phrase it to fit it in the three words, but Mentality monsters return, I think, is probably what I would go with. I think when when you're so early in the season, and we saw it last season, every game counts, obviously, in terms of the points, but also in terms of setting a tone for the season. And it felt at one down, to me, the pessimist that I am, especially with kind of, we'll get on to talk about the decisions, obviously, but the kind of halfway debatable decisions maybe not really going our way and kind of mistake from Trent. It felt like it was setting the kind of the, the scene for the kind of calamitous defending and arguing with the refs and everything that kind of defined last season. And what we didn't see last season is Liverpool responding well to setbacks. And I thought it was just so, so pleasing that now in each of the first three games, 
You've got uh, Chelsea really dominating the first game at certain points, certainly after the second half. You've got Bournemouth, us going behind, and also McAllister getting sent off. And then here you've got like everything you could possibly imagine seemingly going against us. To then claw that back in the manner that we did is just so, so impressive. I'm so pleased with it. And Mark, finally, we'll, we'll come to you. I mean, your three words. And what kind of impressed you most about Liverpool managing to win that game in the end? Yeah, so my three words are just going to be a magnificent victory, really. I think it's it's huge at this early part in the season. And I think the most impressive thing for me, Dave, was coming into the game. I had a lot of trepidation coming into this one, to be honest, that the way Liverpool have performed so far in pre-season and, and what I'd seen over the, the, the course of the early two games, but also factoring in the opponent they were up against and the differences between the opponents who Liverpool last season. I felt Newcastle were one of the best coached and organised sides, both in and out of possession in the league last season. And I felt Liverpool were the polar opposite, which allowed Newcastle with, with lesser players to eventually secure a position above Liverpool. And I'd seen nothing in the early stage, stages of the season and pre-season to, to see that that had changed from Liverpool's perspective. So to be in a situation where they are a man down a goal down away from home to come away with that result, an, an unbelievable result and one of the best of Jürgen Klopp's era. There's no doubt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the players seemed to, to share that sentiment. They seemed to be absolutely buzzing um, with that result, and I think probably the moment that summed it up is before he, the final whistle even went. When you saw the reaction from Trent when he had the ball down by the uh, opposition corner flag. Um, my three words just to wrap that up would be uh, 10 men specialists. Obviously, we've seen Liverpool go down um, to 10 players two weeks in a row now and, and probably improve both times. I think at the start of the game, Liverpool absolutely melted, to be honest. Um, looked like a team who just can't cope with adversity, which was a criticism you could level last season. But I think the show of character after that, similar to what you were saying, Jamie, just to kind of stay in the game, um, you know, to keep that belief. I think I was watching it and I was like, it's all well and good, this being 1-0. but you know, if you can't string together a coherent attack, you're still going to lose the game. But then they kept the belief that the chances will come. They did. Um, obviously, Nunez finished them brilliantly, absolutely devastating um, from him. And to come away with that result, I mean, in any circumstances, would be brilliant. But I think, you know, Jamie, we said before the match that this was probably the fourth most difficult fixture all season now. Um, so to, to win this game in that manner as well, I think it makes it extra special. Um, and I think one thing it's important to note here is, you know, the pool of, I've had 10 men and I talk about the performance improving. You know, I'd say the, the two clear chances they had in the game was Amaron hitting the post, which is obviously a great run from him. And then obviously the goal, which is an error from Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think aside from that, you know, they obviously had a lot of shots, but I think there were a lot of attempts from the edge of the box, really. I mean, they were decent openings, but I think Liverpool actually defended really well for the most part. And to have seven points on the board um, from from these three opening fixes, obviously Bournemouth, you'd expect Liverpool to win, but to go to Chelsea and Newcastle and get four points in those two games, I think is really commendable. We can talk a lot about where Liverpool are at and we'll, and we'll come on to that. But I just think in terms of you know the hard points, Sally, I think it's hard not to be anything, but you're really pleased at the moment. So... Let's talk about the match winner, the man who turned it all around, the hero off the bench, Darwin Nunez. I mean, absolutely huge moment for him, isn't it, Liam? Oh, 100%. Um, I remember about 10 minutes before he got brought on um, and it was still one in and I think it was maybe about 65, 70 minutes gone at that stage. I was thinking to myself, 
Am I imagining things or is Darren Nunes on the bench here? Because I just simply couldn't believe at that stage that he wasn't even at least warming up. Um, and I I think I know one or two people had said that they were quite surprised that you know, three games into the season he's yet to start in the, in the league after showing such good, very, such great form in pre-season. Um, but I suppose, I mean, look, with the, with the campaign we have coming up with the Europa League, I mean, there will definitely be opportunities for, for I think, all of the front, the main front five. And Darren has had to be patient. But again, fair play to him. Like when, when he came in, he, like, he gave his, exactly the, the impact that, that we wanted out of him. Um, and I think he always, in a way, probably sent a message to, to his manager saying, look, that's you put me on, that's what I'm going to do with you. Um, and... In, in a way, he probably almost made himself one of the first names in the team sheet now for the for the video game next week. So, yeah, serious statement made by Darren today. Yeah, I think there's absolutely no way he's he can't start next week now um, in light of that, really. One thing that really stood out to me, I think, was just the quality of, of the goals mm-hmm. as well. You know, you talk about the impact of them, but the difficulty of the shots, I mean, especially the first one, I, I mean, I had to look at the, the XG for the two of them combined was 0.52. And for a player who's for the story of his Liverpool career has been, he has the movement and the anticipation to get the chances, but he just can't put away clear cut ones. I think that's what makes it particularly impressive. I mean, that first goal, I'm just watching it, and you know he's through, and I'm not backing him to score. I tried back anyone to score really in that position. It feels like the ball is just travelling for ages after he hits it, and then you just see it nestle in the far corner, and. You, and it actually took a moment to be like, has he actually just scored that? You know, it's just an unbelievable finish. And I think obviously extra surprising to find a way back in um, in the circumstances in the game. Jamie, what did you make of that from him? Yeah, brilliant. You're talking about that that first that first finish as well. There's only one place he can put that. There's only one place that 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 and that ends up in a goal. So it's a really tight angle when you look at it back. It, it is astonishing. Um and you know, he comes on and I'm a big, I'm a big Darwin fan, but you, you do wonder. There's that ball about five minutes before. Maybe we try, he tries to take it down. It doesn't quite come off, and it's like, oh, is it going to be one of those days or whatever? And no, it wasn't. It, <laughs> he was brilliant. I thought all of Klopp's subs were were really, really positive. It's it's Elliot who wins it back for the second goal. Uh, obviously, Kwanzaa does well. Uh, I was not sure about taking Diaz off, um, but that proved to be the right move because you had Gappo who was able to kind of do two roles, pulling left and going into the centre. So I thought all of his subs were good, but I mean, none more than than the big number nine. Uh, what do you say about him? Yeah, first name on the team sheet, I think, for next week, really. Uh, I thought he'd start against Bournemouth. I was surprised that he didn't because Jota didn't really have a good game against Chelsea. And you expect uh, Bournemouth to be the kind of game where where Darwin might get some chances and get his his confidence up. Well, his his confidence up now, that's for sure. So, bring on Villa, yeah, absolutely. And you know, people have, have expressed surprise that you say that he hasn't started. Um, there's been so much talk about he's going to explode in his second season, and I'm sat here thinking, yeah, it's early days. You know, we can't make any judgments just yet. But he's got to get in the team if he's going to explode. You know, he's not going to put up a, that big a, a goal margin if he's starting in the Europa League and the Cups and he's a bench player in the Premier League. And this is huge today in terms of, to be honest, you know, he's, he's earned the opportunity today with, you know, a moment that is good enough to launch any career. But, like, he's now got to kick on. You know, if he if he has 
the kind of game against Villa next week that we saw him have too often last season, and he's back out the side after the international break, then, you know, it feels like back to square one a little bit. But if he kicks on from this, you know, it could be huge. Um, maybe we will look back on it as a moment. Maybe we won't. We'll see. Um, I completely agree with the point about the subs too. To be honest, when I was seeing them, I was questioning it. I thought, obviously, it was difficult at the start who comes off. Diaz was the one who was sacrificed. Um, I was surprised to see Endo come off as well when he did before the Almar because I was like, the balance looks all right at the moment, certainly defensively. But I think Liverpool and Klopp in particular knew when they could afford to go more aggressive and it paid it off. I mean, when, when Klopp... I think with about 15 minutes to go in normal time, when he kind of went for that more offensive setup, that's when they've got really started to look dangerous and they stayed in the game until then. So I think the subs initially, I would have questioned them. But like you say, Jamie, you worked out really well. I think it's a good point you make there. Um, and he's he's managed the game really well off the bench there. So, Mark, I'll come to you now. I mean, just your verdict on, on Nunez. And also, was there anyone else in that Liverpool performance which had to be very dogged, very disciplined, who stood out to you today? Yeah, Dave, I think uh, Darwin Nunes, Liverpool have got to persevere with him because he's got the highest ceiling of the centre-forwards that Liverpool have and he's a volume attacker. So you look at how disjointed Liverpool were last season and that's with the ball and without the ball. And even within that sort of chaos of how bad Liverpool were, Darwin Nunes per 90 minutes in terms of shots is, is out on his own in terms of the league and I, I believe right up there in Europe as well. So this is a player and in terms of actually creating opportunities for others as well, being on the end of things that, that lead to opportunities. So if you get him between the, the width of the 18-yard box and you've got a fully functioning and organised team set up behind him, this is a player who, for me, could be absolutely fundamental to Liverpool going forward. But what you need to do is you need to keep him away from the ball. So essentially, you need to keep him on the highest line of the pitch, occupying the two centre-halves, looking to make runs in behind what you don't want is him coming towards the ball, getting involved in the build-up play. And I think that's been one of the problems for Liverpool in trying to incorporate him into the team because essentially in football, you want that superiority in the middle of the park and Liverpool have often achieved that in successful periods with having Firmino as a nine and a half. And obviously Nunes hasn't got them same sorts of qualities or them same player profile traits. And that means that you have to keep him as high as possible. Now, if Liverpool are going to persist, which I believe they should do, with a system which enables them to have three players at the back and, and a four in midfield in possession. I think it's generated something like 2.4 points per game on average over the course that it's been employed and Liverpool are still unbeaten within the system. And if you do that, what you're essentially doing is you're getting two players occupying them central spaces behind Darwin Nunes, allowing him to then stay on the, 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 the shoulder of the last man, essentially, which is where you want him. And I think Liverpool massively need to persevere with this player because all his numbers tell me that he could be as big as you want him to be in terms of the, the impact that he can have on the outcome of games. And we've seen with Guardiola how he's enabled Haaland to be in the team. He's allowed superiority in the middle of the pitch by getting other players in there behind him and allowing Haaland to stay as just a focal point of the attack. Liverpool need to do the same. They need to have that organisation in possession and allow him to stay away from the ball and get on the end of chances. And that's that, that for me, is, is how Liverpool move forward with this player. Because I think it'd be a massive shame if he was to go somewhere else, considering what he's shown in a disjointed Liverpool team so far. And on your other question, sorry, Dave, and the players who, who really impressed me, I thought uh, the goalkeeper again. I, I don't think you can 
you can understate. I think he's he's for me he's the he's I think it's become an unequivocal that he's be- the best goalkeeper who's played in the Premier League. And again, that save at such a crucial stage, the strong risk from cl- such close proximity with the power on the shot, and then the reaction to claw it away. And it isn't just the save; it's everything else he does. The assurance. There was one late on from Longstaff, which was struck along the floor. And just the way he shovels it up, his body position, so many other keepers, it spills out, it causes a problem. So I'd say, apart from Darwin Nunes, and there was one or two other really good performances as well, definitely the goalkeeper. Yeah, Eddie Howe said in his post-match interview that the save from Almiron was one of the best he's ever seen live, which I think is, is huge praise. And to be honest, like Alisson has this knack of making incredibly difficult saves look easy. And I think he did that with that shot because... The power on that that strike, so many keepers just aren't get, aren't getting their, their hands to that. Just like reflex wise, um, unbelievable save from Allison there. Um, I mean, just to wrap it up on Nunez, I think I completely agree, Mark, with the thing about don't try and make him into something he's not. Carragher was there in the post match um, analysis saying that the reason he's not in the team is because he's not contributing in that side of things, and, and maybe that is part of it. But I think the main thing is the counter pressing side of things, and you know, yeah, he does need to improve in that regard. I think especially relative to likes of Gakpo and Jota. But I don't think Liverpool need to try and force him to be this player who's involved in the build-up um, because I just don't think that's going to be a fruitful project. I think stick to what he's got there and maybe home the defensive side of things, which is obviously really important. Um, and yeah, in terms of other players who who stood out, and uh, you know, you mentioned Alisson there, credit to the centre-backs too. I think we spent this week or the past few days since Klopp's press conference saying that... Um, Canate was out. We were a bit worried about what was going to happen to Gomez or Matip in this game. Turned out both of them featured. I think both of them did really well. Um, to their credit, obviously they're going to be tested again against uh, uh, Aston Villa next week with potentially Canate still out and uh, Van Dijk suspended. And also credit to Diogo Jota, assist the first goal, creates a big chance for Mohamed Salah as well. And I think it was the only attacker for large parts of it or the only player in the Newcastle half who was actually making the ball stick when he came on as well. Like it, we were losing it so easily, but you know, Jota was the one who was getting hold of it, combining, you know, playing the right pass. And I think I was really impressed with him off the bench today. Um, after I thought Gakpo struggled a bit, but again, difficult circumstances for him. So um, let's talk about the refereeing decisions in this game. Then, obviously, the one that kind of dictates the whole match is the Van Dyke red card. Did you think it was the right decision, Liam? Um. Tyler is very harsh, to be honest, honest Dave. Um, I can understand, the, in one sense, the referee's point of view. I mean, he deemed it to be a foul, and he deemed it to be a potential goal-scoring opportunity. So, for that, so, I can understand why, in the moment, he gave it. But I am disappointed that it wasn't at least reviewed. Um, like when you look at some of the VAR reviews that go on every week in the Premier League, and how not, how much those are scrutinised, sure, it take something three or four minutes. Like I'm shocked that it wasn't even looked at. I mean, I mean for me, again, like maybe I have to watch it back outside the heat at the moment. But it, it at the time I felt that Joe Van Dyke got the ball and 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 it felt like a a rather harsh red card, like not as blatantly outrageous as the McAllister one last week. But you know, I think second week or that we've um a reason to be aggrieved over 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 if our players being sent off, unfortunately. Yeah, um, that, that's a good point. I mean, last week we were, I think, all saying that the red card for McAllister was controversial at best. Do you reckon this one was a bit more clear-cut, Jamie? Yeah, I think I do. I, I've, I, I really struggle with it. In the heat of the moment, obviously, I was kind of 
nonsense, whatever. I think what you have to accept if it is if it's a foul, it's a red card for sure. I think I think no one's no one's disputing that. And there is contact with Isaac's right foot before the ball. Where I where I'm kind of on the fence is. Do you remember? I think it was at the beginning of last season. The the referees really kind of stipulated and really tried to to make the point that that contact def- doesn't definitively mean foul. It has to be enough contact to knock the player over, and that's where I have my doubts about this one. It seems like people have kind of forgotten about. I'm sure that was always the rule, but that kind of re restatement uh, of of the rule, and so. Yes, there's contact, but is there enough? Certainly there's not enough for him to go down rolling around screaming as he does, which is kind of what you expect in the Premier League. I'm on the fence whether it's enough contact to, that that knocks him over in itself. Um, but certainly if it's a foul, it's, it's a red for sure. I think it's a clear red card, to be honest. I think Van Dyke, I think Van Dyke sweeps his legs. I think he's gone to wrong goal. And I think it stems from... As we'll t- touch on in a minute, I think it stems from a mistake from Trent to, to leave the back four exposed. And I don't really have... I watched it at the time and I saw how much he was protesting, which incidentally I think was maybe a little bit too much. Like I was thinking, you're banned for one game, don't make it multiple games by doing something to the officials because he was furious. And then I watched it, I saw his reaction. I was like, maybe there's something in this. I watched it and I was like, I don't think we've got any grounds for complaints. I mean, Mark, what about you? Yeah, I agree, Dave. I thought it was a straight red card. I think the problem is with Van Dijk, He's built a career on brilliantly delaying attackers, judging time and distances and all that kind of thing. And I think on this particular occasion, he's got, got the wrong side of him. He has got the ball, but unfortunately, to enable him to get the ball, he's actually gone through Isaac first. Uh, and then, obviously, from that point, he's going to be have a situation where he can get a shot at goal because of the weight and the pace on the ball. So, so yeah, poor, poor decision-making. He was a split second off. And normally in them kinds of situations, Van Dyke shepherds the, the attacker into an area which uh, dilutes the opportunity to strike on goal, which he didn't do this time. He tried to win it and, and correct an initial time and error in which he was just a bit slow to get there. And I'll stay with you now, Mark, for just um, to touch on the other decision that um, I think has generated a bit of debate after the game. Do you think Trent Alexander-Arnold was lucky to stay on the pitch early on? Yeah, I think this is pretty straightforward again, Dave. I thought the first one was a, obviously a terrible decision from the referee. It's quite obvious that Anthony Gordon's pushed Alexander-Arnold in the back. But unfortunately, it hasn't been given. Once it hasn't been given, what you can't do with the way the guidelines are is throw the ball away. So we get a yellow card. And then from that point, I mean, it's terrible decision-making from Alexander-Arnold. He's got to accept that Anthony Gordon's gone past him, got the better of him, and just see that situation in, in, in terms of not getting involved in it. The fact is, he's put his arm across and it should have been a, a clear second yellow card. It's a stonewall second yellow card, and Liverpool were very fortunate. They were actually fortunate as well that Anthony Gordon potentially took his opportunity for the goal because Alexander-Arnold actually pulled them back then as well, which could have been another straight red card after the the, the error in terms of letting Gordon go go clean through. But yeah, no complaints. I thought Liverpool were really, really fortunate in that, in that situation. And to be honest, I think from a referee's point of view, we'll have to answer that question in terms of his superiors about that why that wasn't a second yellow. Yeah, I, I agree again. I think it you know, but he's committed two bookable offences there, I think clear as day. Um my frustration is that I think A, it was a foul in for the first yellow, and B, 
I just don't think that this rule about kicking the ball away is going to get enforced all season. I think we've seen it time and again, these rules come in at the start of the season. And, you know, fair enough if it's uniformly enforced the whole campaign. But I just have the sense that, you know, in a few weeks, in a few months, however long it is, then the referees are just going to be going softer on it. And and that's what I think is a little bit frustrating. Um, get enforced the whole game. That was my frustration. You talk about all season and and obviously, you know, the referees, they, when these new rules come into play, they're, they're particularly hot on them at the beginning of the season. That's that's something you have to accept. But the frustration, it wasn't, it wasn't enforced the whole game. Gakpo kicked the ball away at one point and I was kind of, I obviously don't want him to get booked, but it's like, come on, like, yeah. where, where's, where's, the, we always talk about consistency and consistency mm. is stupid and do you want them to be consistently bad or do you want them to, mm. something's wrong, do you want them to make the same mistake again? So consistency isn't the kind of bastion of, of referee, but it was frustrating when you see, I think, I don't know who the Newcastle player was, but him and Gakpo both later on in the game not getting booked for the same thing. Yeah, I think the referee has, certainly with the Trent one, has bottled it basically. Um, I think any if it was later in the game, I'm not sure how much later, but a little bit later in the first ten minutes, I think he, he was definitely gone. Um, and uh, then Liverpool's task is obviously even harder than you know doing two thirds of the game, whatever they did with with ten men. Um, Liam still on Trent. I mean, what did you think of his his performance today? I mean, you know, we talked about the moment at the end where he's where he's delighted, but that that was a ropey game for him, wasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately so, Dave. I think the writing is on the wall, I think, from even from those first few minutes. And uh, again, it just going back, just just to quickly go back on the incident. I mean, I agree with everyone here that Trent was very lucky to see the on the pitch after that um that foul on, on Anthony Gordon and but I thought he'd every right to be aggrieved over like not having the free given prior to that. And I think this business of him being booked for like throwing the ball back onto the pitch is it's ridiculous. Same happened to Darwin towards the end of the match. Like, Oh, but like for the two of them to get booked for those little, little signs of would you even call it petulance? And for Joe Linton to commit, it, I looked it up after he committed four fouls. To me, it felt like seven or eight, and like somehow he avoided a book, and like even though he was at it all day, and yeah, it just boggles the mind really. But uh, just so back to your initial question, Dave, yeah, not definitely not not Trent's best best day of man. I mean, um, like Anthony Gordon, who admittedly had a good game today, but again, he's not. In, He's not. He's nothing special. Like he's not going to be the like the highest quality winger that Trent's going to come up against all season. And um, but just unfortunately, he really did have, have Trent on the ropes today. And you know, as Mark point, even for the like for for the goal that Newcastle did get, and um, like Trent got away at one bit there as well. And um, just yeah, definitely not one of his better performances. Unfortunately, he didn't look a bit bit artsy. And I suppose it was going to increase the clamour for him to be. Restored to, to kind of his his midfield position, um, Joe at the earliest at the earliest opportunity once again. Unfortunately, uh, questions are going to, the questions about him defending are are going to be there once again. I think. Yeah, I think he he got destroyed today. I think there's no two ways about it. I think makes a mistake with the goal, makes a mistake leading up to the red card, and Anthony Gordon. You know, every single time he just he just fancied it. Trent didn't. I think Trent stopped engaging with Gordon. I think he just tried to shepherd him away so he's just someone else's problem. And I think, you know, you make a fair point, Liam. I think he's a good one on one player, but he's gonna face, you know, significantly tougher tests this season. So a bit worried in that regard. Um in fairness to Trent, as is often the case, he partly makes up for it with an offensive contribution. Nice pass for um from him into Salah for Liverpool's first goal. Um, but definitely a a poor performance from him today. Probably Liverpool's um, weakest performer on the day. Hopefully, he can um, 
you, you know, a lot more solid next week against Aston Villa. I think um, I think just on that, Dave, sorry to interrupt on Alexander Arnold, just away from sort of without the ball when Liverpool haven't got the ball. I've been so frustrated with him with the ball. I think he's playing trying to play forward far too early. I mean, mm. the great thing about Alexander Arnold is he's got such a great skill set to be able to play through you, over you, around you. He's Liverpool's biggest strength in terms of creation. But there has to be a, a consistency to it, a consistency of selection of choices. And far too often for me, he's surrendering possession and putting Liverpool into a position where they've got to de- then defend disorganised. And just, just on that as well, I think I'd say Andy Robertson into that. I thought Robertson's performance was dreadful. I really did. In terms of the use of the ball, I mean, I think he was the player on the pitch who gave the ball away the most. And that's saying something when Alexander-Arnold was on the same on the same field, really. And I felt that the performances of both fullbacks early on in the season have been way below par. Yeah, Robertson, certainly in possession today, was a source of frustration for sure. Um, I want to just kind of finish up with like an overview of where Liverpool are at at the moment. Um so I'll come, I'll come to you on this one uh, first, Jamie. I mean, we don't like, we can't focus all our attention on the result. We got to look at kind of the performance as well. I think especially the performance eleven v eleven was there were some concerns there. I mean, are you? I think when the dust settles on this victory, is there anything from today's game in particular that worries you? And what do you want to see Liverpool do in the five days or however long's left in the window to kind of remedy the issues that they have? Uh, there is a fair bit that worries me. Um, I think absolutely the, the points on Trent and Robbo are, are, are very valid, particularly Trent. Uh, it's tough when you talk about him playing forwards too early. I think that's right. Um, it's tricky because we were in. If, the, if you're playing, the, depending on who the opposition is, we could he could have the ball in the exact same kind of not zone of the field, but uh, in relation to his teammates and be much further up the field against uh, a Bournemouth, for example. And so he's, he's able to kind of pick those passes out, despite being the same kind of point in the move from playing out, for example. He, he's 20 yards further back if we're kind of away at St. James's Park versus home to, to Bournemouth or someone like that. So I agree with that. In terms of going into the, into the, the, the transfer thing, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think we learned anything new in this game that we didn't already know, to be honest. I think we need a centre-back. Uh, we need, I think we need probably two centre-backs in a, in a defensive midfielder, but that's not going to happen. Um, I thought Endo struggled, to be honest with you, and it's a really, really tough game to come into for your first kind of first start for the club, but I wasn't particularly impressed. I thought he, he grew into it a little bit and he played some kind of quite nice short passes forwards uh, and he started to win a few free kicks turning away from from their press uh, quite well but generally speaking I thought off the ball he was diving in and it, and he, he was caught kind of on the turn way too often and it's his first game so that doesn't teach us anything I don't think really about about him I think we all knew that we needed a def- another defensive midfielder before this game or I think I certainly think that so that didn't really teach me anything new, but there are certain concerns around a number of areas in the team. Yeah, yeah I think you can look at where Liverpool are on the table and think, you know, everything's fine and dandy, but I think they've still got a big fight on their hands to, to qualify for the Champions League with, with the current squad, in my opinion. I think um, 
you know, we talk about Liverpool improving with 10 men. I think 11 v 11, Newcastle were much better than Liverpool. I think they were dominating them, which which worried me in the sense that, you know, this ideally Liverpool should be should be dominating Newcastle, you know, certainly in terms of possession. And I know it's away from home, but they should should have been asserting themselves a little bit more, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, especially given that that was basically the strongest team Liverpool have at the moment that started that game. Um, I think, it, you know, have to has to be a bit of a concern. And I think just generally, I mean, it just feels like it's still too easy to kind of run through this team, to be honest. Like, it feels like the the structure's still not quite right. Um, and I do expect something to happen between now and the end of the window. I think there'll probably only be one more deal. And on that note, Liam, um, I, I ran a poll on my Twitter account the other day, you know, and it said, if you could only sign one more, would it be a centre-back or defensive midfielder? I think in the end it was... 48% said centre-back, 52 said another midfielder, so very, very close opinion really split on that issue. If I put that, to put that question to you, and the likelihood is there may only be time for, for one more transfer, I mean, which one would you say is more important at this stage? Um, I'm going to give you the answer today, but I would have given you even before today's match, and that's a centre-back. Um, obviously, the clamp for that will increase even more now that Van Dijk is going to be suspended for the next three games, and that can add a um, it's doubtful for next week, and as we know, has had his injury issues as well. And um, it's, I think, it's always been like the midfield is now not sorted, but sure, at least by getting Endo in, they had an, as, at least a specialist, experienced defensive midfielder in there. There were some covered in that regard. If I said it should come back as well, and um, I think the priority for this week has to be a centre back. And I mean, pers- personally, I would, I would like. Uh, the centre back we bring in to also be capable of playing draw on, on the right in particular and it, again just to give that Trent that bit more licence to play that a bit further forward and um, yeah, I've seen a couple of names saying Artyash um, the Belgian defender is one, one I've seen I think for sure is still knocking about there and um, I know a completely new name might come in the right surface in the coming days um, but I think yeah if, if I'm on the on the transfer committee, if I'm Harshmaka and Jurgen Klopp, I'm thinking this week, do not let get to Friday at eleven o'clock without having one centre back minimum brought in. Yeah, it kind of feels like you're risking a repeat of the issues we had in, in that area, albeit probably not as bad um a couple of years ago. So yeah, uh, last word to you on this then, Mark. I mean, what what kind of position do you think this Liverpool squad is in at this moment in time? Yeah, I still think Liverpool have got a squad of very talented players, which means they're always going to be competitive um, for the top four positions. I don't, I, I don't have a doubt about that. I think a lot of it depends on how Liverpool go forward in terms of system-wise. You'd imagine them to stick to a three-four-three in possession and in transition, which means that it sort of changes the kinds of players that you're looking for in that sense. It was interesting today that after Alexander Arnold's yellow card, they actually just adopted the four-three-three again. Alexander Arnold was stable in his right-back position. And it was the first time this season that we've seen Liverpool really just sort of settle in that shape without without the ball. But in general, I do believe that they're still going to stick to to try and get him in that central position, which means you're going to be playing with a sort of a two-man deepest line midfield. Now, next to Alexander-Arnold, the identity of that player, I suppose it depends on how good the club believe Endo is. I mean, the reality is we don't really know at this moment in time. They'll obviously be judging that the moment they've got him in the building. If he's a lesser level than Fabino, then there's an obviously obviously a worry there, and you would suspect he is because Fabino's been an outstanding player for Liverpool and one of the top in his position throughout the last few years. And there'll have to be a, a, a massive 
sort of worry about how many games you can get out of Thiago because if you said to me Thiago's going to be fit now until until Christmas and Liverpool can then reassess their options in that midfield section of the pitch, I'd absolutely say that Thiago could play that role alongside Alexander-Arnold for the most part with other players sort of flitting in and out of it, whether the McAllister comes in for some some minutes as well and then you've got Bajetic and obviously Endo there as well. And the centre-half position, I mean... Again, it depends on if the club feel that there's there's better players out there than what they currently have. I mean, you would you would think that if they go with a three at the back system, that player is going to be a left footed player who would come in who's more suitable to the role than Robertson. But then again, despite how poor Robertson's been, I don't believe Klopp's got any any sort of ideas to to take him out of the team. So a lot of factors to determine. But I suppose that from from my point of view, I think. It really depends on what they're looking at on a day-to-day basis and what's available in the market. And as it always does with Liverpool, if they think that they're better than the current options they have, I think in either position, if any of them players are available for that selected system, then the club has to go out and get them in either position. Yeah, and hopefully there's an opportunity to set the the team up for a a really solid season Uh, from here, I think. There's no sort of prospect of, of turning Liverpool into a title contender at this point, but they could certainly kind of be pushing up to maybe be that sort of, you know, best of the rest um, type team. But yeah, we'll leave it there for, for today's episode. Obviously, uh, an unbelievable victory, I think, is is the main point and the note to end it on. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a, a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or any other podcast platform you're listening on. And um, We had a couple more this week, so please do keep those coming because they help us a lot. Um, I remember you can email us redsunrestrictedpodcast at gmail.com as well. And if you follow the podcast and put the notification button on, you'll get messages every time uh, we post a new episode. And the next of those is going to be in midweek before the game against Aston Villa. So make sure you tune in for that one and we'll see you then.